are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at LastWordOnSports.com. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Happy belated Singles Awareness Day to my fellow singles out there. And we are just, what, I think 11, maybe 10 sleeps now by the time you're listening to this before the start of the 2023 Major League Soccer season. This week, we will be doing our team-specific preview. We'll be doing league-wide and individual awards and who wins what trophies next week. But now we're going to break down every single team in alphabetical order by conference. And I have a full slate, a proper four-person midfield in order to break that in first of all rachel krigger rachel how are you and are you being like water being like water the the bruce lee seattle kit that dropped oh my gosh i don't know references matt i just know it's a nice kit i i am a little bit ignorant on my bruce lee um information i was more well informed on my Jimi hendrix um knowledge than I was my Bruce Lee knowledge but two legends two very great kits I am very I'm very chill I'm very happy I am like water okay then and then we've got two Canucks who are making their last bird SC debut I believe uh first of all Raheem Bashir Raheem how are you welcome to the podcast uh thanks uh, yeah appreciate it. um being a uh good day um Looking forward to the uh, MLS season coming up next week. And then also, Felipe. Felipe, I see you're decked out as well. Um, how are you feeling about uh, how Tottenham Hotspurs are doing and how uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps preseason is going? I just hope that uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps have a better uh, start to the season than the restart that Spurs have had because it's been a uh, pain, I would say, especially after the 4-1 loss against Leicester. Okay then. Um and I should point out listeners, I don't know if I don't know if we're breaking any news here folks, but um uh Felipe and Raheem have been dabbling a little bit more in podcasts recently and so you might be hearing some more Canadian soccer related content coming from them and some other people at Last Word on Sports uh as we delve into the Canadian aspects of the game, both MLS, Canadian Premier League and uh Canadian soccer. But first, let's get into it folks. Uh we will start in the Eastern Conference because it's the second good one. Uh we'll save the West We'll save the best for the West, um, but so here's how we're going to be doing it. We've divided up every single team, and we are going to be looking at, every single time we go to them, we'll be looking at the team's strengths, their weaknesses, two players to watch, one being a star player, maybe a DP, maybe a new signing, a young player. We generally define that as under 23. We might break that U22 rule, however, um, and then also what we think for their season outlook. Is this a team that we think can compete for the playoffs? Is this a team that for sure is making the playoffs? No playoffs whatsoever, and can they realistically win a trophy? So first of all, Raheem, we'll start with you alphabetically. Atlanta United, Raheem, they have historically had a lot of really good successes the in the MLS 3.0 era. They were not very good this season. Garth Lagerway is last season garth lagerway is in at general manager what do you think i know atlanta finished uh 11th in the eastern conference uh last year uh brad Guzan is a veteran player for the 
um, Atlanta United FC. Um, he'll be a key player um, as a goalkeeper for the team, and I believe they will make a significant uh, upgrade in the standings. I don't think they'll win the MLS Cup. I think they'll make the playoffs. All right, Felipe, CF Montreal, lots of changes, lots of money coming in. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be kind of a uh, a very different-looking uh, Montreal team than we're used to. I mean, last year they did so well, um, you know, when they they had Wilfred Nancy, they had Alistair Johnson, Ismail Kone, uh, Mihailovic, and these are all players and staff that are gone now, and it's sort of like another rebuild year for Montreal. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I don't know if they are... Uh, have the um, star power, I guess, as they, they used to. But, I mean, some of their additions um, are pretty good. Ilias Iliardi um, it, coming in from Greece looks a bit promising. Having Victor Wanyama stay on an extra year uh, is always something um, that can strengthen their midfield and continue to be strong. Um, I do think one player to definitely watch out for the year, Sean Rea who had a very good year last year in the CPL and seems to be taking that sort of Mihailovic role, um, that kind of gap that he left uh, after leaving for Italy. Uh, I don't know if they'll be able to reach the same heights as last year. I think they might be able to just clinch playoffs uh, around in the sixths. But uh, yeah, um, I don't see the same sort of success as I see last year, but I could be proven wrong. Moving on to a team in their sophomore year in Major League Soccer, CF Montreal. The two players I'd like to highlight are obviously their pre-existing designated player striker in Carol Swindersky. Had a bit of a rocky start to the season with obviously the head coach that fired after some uh, ignominious public statements were made and him wanting to get out right before Swindersky went on international duty. I still think that he'll be a big part of the team's attack at 26 years old. And I think in the midfield, really, the, the team lacked experience and cohesion in terms of just a very veteran presence to, I think, be a force multiplier and calm things down with defensively. Games were just wide too open and they were really cut apart in transition by more experienced or more, um, you know, established MLS teams. So they brought in Ashley Westwood, um, a holding midfielder who previously was with Burnley. Burnley would know a thing or two about playing well defensively and working very hard. So I think he's a nice addition. And I also, I, I wonder with Charlotte, if they're almost targeting like the similar to Christian Fuchs, a veteran English player who's the right fit for their club, not necessarily going after a, a DP Frank Lampard or Steven Jarrett or anything like that. Um, young players to watch for. I think it's very obvious. It's going to be Benjamin Bender, 21 years old, second year uh, now professionally in MLS. He played in 28 games for Charlotte in their inaugural season, scoring three goals. I still think he's a big part of this team. He's obviously the young, exciting player to get excited for. I'm not sure that he's done enough yet, at least for this year, in terms of what he'll do in MLS or what he'll do at like a youth national team level to, I think, get some of the European buzz that we've seen from some other players that have been involved. But I do think he could be a major start. And if he's a lockdown starter for Charlotte, then I think things get very interesting in terms of his club trajectory. That that being said, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of teams in the East maybe took Charlotte for granted because of where they were as an expansion team that wasn't spending a whole lot of money and they maybe were able to catch a few teams off guard. 
Um, they have had a couple um, departures as well. Uh, Danny Rios obviously has left for Chivas. So I do, I think there's a real possibility to this team in terms of their long-term trajectory, take step forwards this year in terms of building out their core, their identity and establishing themselves, but actually narrowly misses out on the playoffs again. So I will say this team will not make the playoffs. Felipe, speaking of teams that are probably not going to make the playoffs, is there once again, no hope for the Chicago fire? Honestly, uh, unfortunately, don't think so. Sorry to the five Chicago fans. Uh, but I just think that this offseason, losing John Duque to Aston Villa while bringing in that kind of money is always great. And you are hoping to see it be, you know, redistributed into some exciting players. Uh, it just hasn't been that way, really, since then. Um, they also sold slowly net to Chelsea. That was agreed uh, earlier, but now it went through. And so they're sort of left with a team that um, doesn't spark much uh, excitement, I'd say. They still have the the Polish striker. I can never get his name on it. Prisbilko. Um, Shibilko. And as their Shibilko? Okay. Shibilko. Kasper uh, Shibilko um, as their lone uh, number nine, really. I mean, now they're going to have to rely on uh, Chris Brady. Uh, the goalkeeper to come in and slot as a new number one with Spolina going. I think he actually might be the young player to watch as he steps up uh, in the goalkeeping position um, for them. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, we will remain to see. Maybe Shurden Shakiri can live up to the hype finally after not really setting the league on fire last year. Um, but honestly, I'd see chicago missing out quite comfortably once again which is sad considering their his their history but yeah i don't think it's uh gonna be another year of hope for them rachel what's going on with columbus crew and will this team try and finally figure out how to not drop points from a winning advantage now that caleb porter is no longer there well first off what's up with them is that good looking kit that they just dropped today black is my favorite color so i was a fan um, they did sign Christian Ramirez. Um, I think he was playing in Scotland, um, scoring some goals over there. He uh, is someone who has bounced around um, in MLS. I know he was with uh, Minnesota United at one point. So they're, they're hoping that he's going to um, kind of take over the spot that I don't think they ever really filled when Jossie Zardes left. Um, so I'm intrigued to see how he does in their attack. Um, they do have a new coach, of course, that's probably – that was one of the like interesting moves of the off season because you don't really see too much jumping from head coach to head coach uh, in MLS um, unless you get fired or something. And Wilfred Nancy did not get fired. He uh, just jumped ship from CF Montreal to Columbus crew. I think he might've just liked the different challenge. Maybe he wanted to be in the United States. I don't really know what the answer is. Um, but either way, he's with Columbus now. Um, they signed probably one of mine, and, and I, can't, I can't speak for him too much, but I do know Dan Sperry, our friend Daniel Sperry, loves a good Jimmy Madronda banger. When he sees one, he saw them with Kansas City. I saw them with Seattle, um, and they signed him uh, in the offseason too. And even though he's an older guy, he's somebody who you can, um, to use a baseball phrase, he can pinch hit for you. Um, in times, especially on international breaks, whenever players may be gone. Um, but I think the biggest loss for this team coming into 
the upcoming season was Jonathan Mensa, the uh, the defender from Ghana who went to, I believe he went to San Jose. Um, so they're going to need to figure out a way to fill that hole on the defense because he was so consistent for for Columbus through the years that he was there. Um, I think we saw last year the East was a lot more competitive than what people thought it would it used to be. So will Columbus be a playoff team? I don't know. I will say yes if they can get uh, Ramirez uh, scoring a bunch of goals. Moving on down the list, we will head over back to Felipe for DC United. Yeah, I mean, DC United, you kind of can think they can't have that much worse of a year than they did last year. Um, I think bringing in Wayne Rooney with the name and the clout that he can bring, I mean, he already brought in some of his former Premier League stars like Ravel Morrison and Christian Benteke. This summer they added uh, Mateus Klitsch from uh, Leeds United. Um, I think that he might be another experienced head in the team, um, but they really haven't recruited all that much more. I mean, they've got three new goalkeepers uh, who all of them haven't really been on the best form. Uh, as of late, they, they got Tyler Miller from Minnesota United, who was good two seasons ago, lost his place to Dane Sinclair. Maybe he can find that form that he found before, the two, uh, two years ago. Um, they got Alex Bono from Toronto C, uh, which the less said about the better. Um, and I think they got the Iraqi left back, Mohana Jayzi from Sweden, from Hanerby. So I think those are the only settings that they've really done. Again, nothing to really inspire much confidence. I think they are going to uh, miss the playoffs comfortably once again, but hopefully not be the wooden spoon. Rachel, going to you back for the state of Ohio, FC Cincinnati made the playoffs pleasant surprise in 2022 still they were a team of chaos they scored a bunch of goals they conceded a bunch of goals what's going on with them are there can they be an actual title contender or are they just going to be chaos again you know what matt i'm not thrilled about them making the playoffs because they did it whenever the one year the one year i picked them that they wouldn't make the playoffs after so many years of disappointment but i will let all of that go and keep some praise on them um, they have signed in the offseason um, Santiago Arias from uh, he actually recently played at Atletico Madrid. He's a guy with a lot of experience and with a young team. I think you need to get um, some of those experienced guys in the fold to to really help lead the team and, and just show the younger players what it, what it means to be a professional. I, I think one of the biggest questions for Cincinnati is are they going to be able to keep Brenner for the whole year because everybody wants a piece of him Liga Emekis wants him there are teams in Europe who want him there are teams in South America who want him everyone wants him I think he was um recently linked to Nottingham Forest too I think they put in a request to Cincinnati for him um, and I know Cincinnati wants to keep him but are they going to be able to hang on to him for the whole year I see it as kind of um Oh, uh, what was the name of that guy from New York City FC who left uh, Mor Morales, right? Um, last season, Maxi Morales, who departed. Uh, Not no, the Castellanos, Rachel, the other one. Castellanos. Um, in the middle of the season, um, are they going to be able to hang on um, to Brenner for the whole year is going to be a big question. But, of course, they do have Brandon Vasquez, who had a really, really good year last year 
He was uh, rewarded with a call-up for January camp uh, with the U.S. men's national team and Matt's favorite person, Anthony Hudson. Um, so we, we'll we see if he, he'll be able to keep up his form um, in, in 2023. I like Cincinnati. They haven't had a lot of... Um, a lot of departures. Uh, I do think their defense is a little old, and I, I think they need to maybe get another player who might be younger. Um, this is a team that, again, Arias, he, I think he's 31, 32 years old. Matt Miazga, he's kind of youngish, but also not super duper young. Um, but I think that C, um, Cincinnati needs to shore up their defense a little bit, bring that median age down. Um, and I think they should make the playoffs again and, and, fight for a title before we move on rachel we've now had we now address both montreal and dc united you might remember this time last year you had a really horrible take about dc united based mostly on hernan lasada and his sense of fashion um how are you feeling about his arrival at montreal and more importantly what shenanigans are going to go off the first time that he makes his way back to audi fields um, yeah, I got, I definitely got the last word on soccer wooden spoon last year. I think Harvey will never let me live it down. Um, I, I don't know. I think that, I think there's going to be a lot of Rome isn't built in a day type of, you know, environment going on up in Montreal this year. I feel like Montreal usually struggles last year. They showed some sign of promise. Now they need to see if they can, you know, keep it up under him. As for DC United, listen, they're about to drop a cherry blossom kit. So you know what? All is forgiven. Okay, then. Um, Felipe, we'll go to Inter-Miami. What's going on with Joseph? And is this team, you know, going to get settled finally defensively? I mean, some of the additions make it look like they might actually get some of that defensive stability that they were aching for last year. Uh, they did uh, bring in uh, Sergei Krivstov, uh, I think his name, the Ukrainian center back from Shakhtar Donetsk, who looks really solid. They uh, brought in Franco Negri, uh, the Argentinian left back from Godoy Cruz in Argentina. So they're making these defensive additions. Uh, I think one of the biggest deals that they had, aside from uh, signing uh, Jose Martinez, was uh, signing Leonardo Campana back on a DP, young DP deal on a permanent transfer after he scored double digits for them. So maybe with these two new additions, having Campana now full-time and having uh, always the evergreen Josef Martinez, maybe they can go and push uh, beyond what they did before, and I think they could go on a, on a decent little run, make it in the playoffs. Any hope still, Felipe, for uh, Messi to Miami and him coming to Major League Soccer this calendar year? You know what? I think even if you're not an Inter-Miami fan, if you are an MLS fan, you are always going to want to watch these stars, especially after you thought, you know, we missed out on Cristiano Ronaldo at Sporting Kansas City. That would have been quite the coup. Uh, so, I mean, maybe second best is seeing Messi in Inter-Miami colors, but uh, one can always hope. Uh, moving on down the list, uh, we have a team that apparently keeps flip-flopping across conferences. Maybe once we actually stabilize in terms of MLS expansion, we'll know what they are. But uh, in any case, Nashville SC, who made the playoffs last year, moving into Geodis Park, ended up losing in the first round to LA Galaxy in the Western Conference, are now returning to the Eastern Eastern Conference. Uh, they, of course, have Honey Mukhtar, who is the reigning 
MLS MVP, 27, 28 years old. He scored 23 goals and 11 assists. Absolutely fantastic. One of the top five individual attacking seasons that have ever existed. He's fantastic. Walker Zimmerman, obviously, back with the team. Uh, coming off of a uh, World Cup spot in which he was a starter, and then also Shaq Moore, who was a bit part player at the fullback position as well. This team is old. This team is veteran. They are very well drilled under Gary Smith based on what they want to do defensively. They don't have a whole lot of ideas going forward in the attack other than pass it to Hani Mukhtar and expect him to go FIFA five-star god mode. I don't know that I expect that to happen this past season. If we just look at his three years so far in MLS, a curtailed uh, 2020 season, uh, he had four goals, four assists. Let's double that to say eight and eight for what 2020 could have been, COVID notwithstanding. 16 and 12 in 2021, and then obviously 23 and, ele- and 11, as I just mentioned, in 2023. Could I easily see 25 goal contributions from Hani Mukhtar? Yes. Do I think he's getting to 30? Probably not. And I don't know what else this team does in attack elsewise. Um, they are uh, a team that is returning the vast majority of their minutes played. I think they're number one in MLS in that, over 90% returning and so I don't know how you run it back with the exact same lineup a bunch of guys who are getting even older Dax McCarty looked his age CJ Zapong looked his age as well um Nick Depew, I think is a decent bench pickup as far as the center back position but I'm not sure what to make of that um I I think this team can make the playoffs just like they did last year given how weak I think there is in the West and just purely based on having a good, well-drilled head coach overall, no distinct weaknesses in, across their roster, no massive issues that are easily exploitable and having a talisman, a top five player in MLS in Hani Mukhtar. Can they get to the seventh seed or nine? If the athletics, right. And they're going to end up expanding the roster. I think absolutely they can get there. Uh, do I think they're going to do anything once they get to the playoffs? No, uh, they will go as far as Hani Mukhtar is capable of LeBroning them. And at some point that well is going to run dry. One young player who I'm kind of excited to see Canadian and International, I should point out uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, who I thought was an excellent pickup for them on loan last year from Toronto FC, and they've now signed him on a permanent. He's kind of the one energizer buddy you have in the midfield. So he'll do a lot of running. I'm just not sure how much Andy Bogadoy and Dax McCarty are going to be able to do to keep up with him. But in any case, uh, let's move on to the New England Revolution. Raheem, uh, Supporters Shield winners two years ago. Bruce Arena's back. They're retooling the roster and everything. Do they figure it out this year under Carlos Heel, or is it? back to missing the playoffs again. It's interesting because two years ago, they had that really good season. I know Tejon Buchanan was on that team. Um, That might have been um, the missed opportunity uh, two years ago because some of the players are now gone, like Tejon Buchanan. Um, I do believe that Bruce Arena is a very good coach, and I could see them make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to have the season like they had two years ago, but maybe they finish uh, six in the Eastern Conference. I I believe they have the ability to do that. Um, Obviously, Petrovic is a very good goalkeeper for the New England Revolution. Um, uh, And um, yeah, he, he could be key for them making the playoffs. And let's move to New York City. First, Rachel, I will throw it to you for NYCFC. Another great kit, by the way. Absolutely flawless. Um, So there was a lot more out than there was in for 
uh, New York City FC. I think, you know, we don't give the spotlight to goalkeepers that often, guys, but I think the spotlight needs to go to him here. Sean John is out of New York City FC. He went to Toronto um, after, gosh, I think he was with New York for five or six years. Um, either way, a long time for a really solid goalkeeper. Um, so he's gone and they got Matt Freeze from Philadelphia, their backup. Um, to take his place we'll see if that works we'll see if maybe Matt Freeze is just kind of the short-term option or if he ends up being um, New York City FC's long-term option um, but Sean John was not the only person who left a bear left for um, Seattle Sounders and Alexander Callens left and I believe he went overseas um, so a lot more out than there was in for New York City FC but they did get a loanee um, I'm going to really try hard not to butcher his name, but as Matt knows on this podcast with me, I'm not the best with pronunciations, but Brian Soufrere, I think it is, um, he joined, he joined from, from the Spanish team that begins with an M, Mallorca Mal- Mal- or something like that. Mallorca. Mallorca. I was, that's probably the closest I've ever been, um, but he joins uh, he joined New York City FC, but he is on a loan um, right now just for starters. So I think obviously the biggest thing for this team is is watching Matt Breeze in the first couple of games and, and seeing how he stacks up because I, I think it's pretty fair to say that Sean John has been one of the most reliable players in Major League Soccer, not just for New York City FC, but in the whole league in general. Um, and he's going to be a big, big, big piece um, to fill for New York City. And moving to the red side of New York, New York Red Bulls, Raheem. So the Red Bulls have made the playoffs and they made it a few times, uh, sometimes in a row. And they they had a good regular season at MLS. They finished fourth in the Eastern Conference and they're actually winning the playoff game. But then uh, FC Cincinnati came from behind to win it. Um, the thing with the Red Bulls is that they haven't gone over that hump, um, to get to the MLS, not to win the MLS Cup. And Lewis Morgan is their best player, or one of their best players. He had, um, scored a lot of goals and was first or second on the all-time Red Bulls, uh, scoring list last year. So, um, I could see them making a push. Uh, this year and having another impressive season, but um, I'm saying they're finishing uh, th- this year. All right, bullish New York Red Bulls continuing the streak as well. With that, we'll move it down to Orlando City, who just narrowly made the playoffs, effectively winning a de facto play-in game against uh, Columbus Crew on decision day last season, but obviously didn't go very far in those playoffs. This is maybe the rebuild or the reshuffling that I'm most excited about. Oscar Pereja, I think other than really Junior Urso, every single player that they wanted out on or they declined it on or moved on, I think was a good decision for them. Every single player that they brought back was somebody they absolutely wanted, and they have shook down all of their scouting contacts that they've had in Central and South America to, I think, really strengthen this team um maybe the two exits that i'm not super excited about because having to bring in two new 
fullbacks when you've had consistent starters for multiple years is not necessarily a good situation. So John Moutinho gone and then Ruan has been traded to DC United as well. So I've got some concerns about them defensively on the flanks, but you look at the players that they brought back or that they re-sign, you know, bring in Felipe Martins as a free agent, I think is a really good option. Um, they re-signed uh, Marcelo Perea, who I really, really like. Obviously, Pedro Gaese, the octopus in goal, absolutely fantastic. And then their big acquisition coming in forward, Martin Ojeda. Really interested to see where he plays out because he's been in the midfield at times. He's been mostly a left winger. He can also play up top as well. Where does he play and how does he shine coming into his first year in MLS? I'm really curious. Also on defense, they brought in... Rafael Santos and then uh, Ramiro Enrique from Banfield as well. So I I like pretty much every single acquisition they brought in. I'm not other than Urso where there was a mutual contract termination. I think there were some personal situations there. I'm not sure that there's a big individual act player who's departed the team who I'm super bent out of shape about. I do think this team underperformed last year for where they were from a talent standpoint. I still really like Oscar Pereja as a coach. If things go right, I think this team can host a home playoff game in the Eastern Conference. I think they'll be much more comfortably a playoff team. I will pick them to finish fifth in the Eastern Conference. And with that, we'll move on to the champions of the Eastern Conference. Rachel, will Philadelphia Union finally get it done this year? Oh, what an unkind year for Philadelphia. Um, they have a chance to make a fighting bid for MLS Cup again. Not too many people out, but a lot in. Damian Lowe was acquired from Inter-Miami. Um, Joaquin Torres was acquired from uh, CF Montreal. And Andreas Pereira uh, was acquired from Orlando. I think they're good pickups. Not a lot of guys that went out. Of course, talked about Matt Freeze. He's going to... Um, He's going to New York City FC, so they're going to have to figure out a, a situation for when Andre Blake goes on international duty in goal for um, Jamaica. But I, I, I think Philly, you know, there's a lot of rumors swirling around about Jim Curtin's name for the U.S. job. I personally don't think he takes it. Um, I would be quite shocked if he did, although I do believe it is well-deserved. I think they can hang on to him for the whole year for sure. But I'm interested to see, you know, just kind of, what 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 they do, how they how they make a rebound back from losing MLS Cup last year um, to LAFC in probably one of the bonkerest games of all time. But there really hasn't been um, a lot of change for Philadelphia. I expect them to pretty much be the, their their old selves. And yeah, I, I mean, a team coached by Jim Curtin, I have all the confidence in the world in. And with that, we will close out the Eastern Conference. Uh, Raheem, your very own Toronto FC. Uh, Raheem, I think I think by the end of the season, I really liked where Toronto was at. Obviously, it started rough. Um, is this team ready to compete and again be a super club within Major League Soccer? Uh, I don't know if it will happen in 2023, but I, I think it can happen um, maybe in a few years. Uh, I know when they um, when they did the back many years ago when they signed. Michael Bradley and Jermaine Defoe, um, that they had some struggling years. There was one year where they lost to CF Montreal pretty badly in the playoffs. So I believe that they'll get over the hump. I don't know if it will be this year. I have them uh, coming at seventh place because they're, I, I, I was a bit high on them the previous two years and they haven't really played that well. So I believe they'll make the playoffs, but it'll be like a learning. Um, 
the th interesting thing about Toronto FC is that they sign players in the goalkeeping and center defense position. So Sean Johnson, who won 2021 MLS Cup MVP, um, he will be a huge uh, upgrade for TFC. Um, the center backs is interesting because they signed two center backs, uh, Matt Hedges and Rostet. And it'll be interesting how those players play. Well, Hedges is, has played in MLS for uh, a while, but it'll be interesting how Rostet, who's coming from outside of MLS into MLS, how they um, do uh, this year. Because their problem last year was how many goals they gave up. So even if the star players perform, will the defense do well and defend? And obviously there's chemistry issues um, with bringing all these players together. Before we go on to the Western Conference, I want to take a break and I want to thank our sponsor. I want to give a shout out uh, to Athletic Greens. They have a signature AG1 that replaces your key health products in one simple scoop. AG1 combines nine, nine health products that are working together for one formula that replaces your multivitamin, your multimineral, your prebiotic, your probiotic, gives you a menu support, and then even more. That means AG1 does more for your body, saves you time and money, and confusion in comparing multiple unique products that you have and everything. You get everything that you need for your daily nutrition in one simple scoop in water, and it tastes great. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started with Athletic Greens today. With that, we will move to the Western Conference, and I will be starting out talking about Austin FC and Colorado Rapids. Austin uh, launched, uh, folks, maybe the one kit that was a little bit too much. It looks a little bit like a barcode. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Not seeing any uh, chuckling from my co-host, so I'll move on. Um, they have a, a MLS MVP candidate in Sebastian Driussi, who just signed a new deal that is likely to make him one of, if not the highest paid player in MLS in 2023. Uh, they're returning a lot of really, really good pieces. I much I like very much where this team is at defensively compared to where they were a year, year and a half ago, especially at the center back position. They brought in Jossie Zardes to be a really good third piece in that attack, along with Driussi and Diego Fagundes. This is a team that has spent and looked to compete in the Western Conference, and they've jettisoned some of the uh, you know missing parts that didn't really work with them that much. Ruben Galbriosen, um, uh, you know, had his uh, was ultimately transferred. That's maybe one defensive departure that I don't really like. But Denny Husen's gone. Good riddance, as far as I'm concerned. Felipe Martin's gone. They bolstered the midfield in other ways as well. One concern that I have for Austin is when they've spent big on players, a lot of those have been duds or haven't worked out for various reasons. Uh, Pochettino didn't really fit with the team tactically. I think it's fairly fair to say that uh, Rodney Rednes, who still is on the roster right now, uh, has been a dud. And then Rigoni, who they brought in for a record transfer fee, who was supposed to be their big winger acquisition, just did not look the part at all down the stretch in the regular season. And he was maybe the worst player on the pitch for them uh, in that really, really poor Western Conference final against LAFC where they got run over. Looking for David Goss theorem to have a player coming from out of the league to be better. And then maybe you're looking at a four-headed attack if you're talking about Driussi, Rigoni, Zardes, and Diego Fagundes. Also, uh, Rachel Will Bruin is officially Verde as well, so we'll see if the Dan Dancing Bear can do some stuff off the bench, backing up Jossie Zard as young player to watch. I'm curious to see how he fits in because I just finished talking about a bunch of veteran 
either really expensive or really well-proven in MLS strikers. CJ Fodry was their really big acquisition out of the draft. Generation Adidas player, 19 years old, uh, was previously playing for San Diego Loyal out of their academy and then was MLS eligible. Where does he fit in with the team? Is he a winger? Is he a bench player? Does he get any playing time at all? Um, maybe certainly a good acquisition for the long term. I don't think he's unseating Zardis or, or Will Bruin. So an interesting and maybe a champagne, a Verde champagne problem for Josh Wolf and company out there. I expect this team to, again, be top in the Western Conference. They should comfortably make the playoffs. I think at this point they're looking at can they seriously challenge for a trophy? Does the lessons that they learned throughout the playoffs last year going into a nail-biter with RSL, losing in an embarrassing fashion to LAFC, is that the experience that they needed to then now build on that, know what it takes to actually do something in the playoffs to compete for a trophy? I won't flat out say if this team doesn't win a trophy that this season is a failure, but they should be hosting home playoff games at Q2 Stadium in October and November. They should be expecting to be one of the four or five teams expecting to compete for MLS Cup once we get to the playoffs. Um, And I should expect that their departure from the playoffs that they don't win it um, should be a much better outing than it was last year. With that, I will take on my Colorado Rapids listeners. I am uh, currently wearing the new new day kit for the Colorado Rapids. Uh, they missed the playoffs last year. I really like the acquisition of Andreas Maxu at center back. I think he's the DP center back that the Rapids have really needed and been looking forward. I think he's what they actually were hoping way back in the day that Tommy Smith and Danny Wilson were actually going to be. So I think this opens up an opportunity for the Rapids to go back to a proper back three if Robin Frazier wants to go 3-4-3 three, three, and especially be, at the front, uh, be on the front foot at home at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Kevin Cabral is the one big acquisition they have coming in from the attack. And this is kind of the highest risk, highest reward from a Rapids distressed asset standpoint. We know what his floor could be in terms of creating a bunch of chances, but not really being confident and not finishing those chances with the LA Galaxy. Can the Colorado Rapids get something out of him uh, that Greg Vanny and company were not able to do? And can he be a good complimentary piece to Diego Rubio, who I should point out is currently out of contract and will be eligible for free agency. But this is a team that was hurt last year. This is a team that underperformed, took a step back from where they were in 2021. If all of those players who took a step back return, uh, you know, progress back to their mean, if all those players that were hurt last year can have a bounce back season, everything on top of all of the new acquisitions, I expect this team to make the playoffs. I don't think, however, that they'll be hosting a home playoff game. I think it was lightning in a bottle in 2021. I expect this team to finish fifth or sixth in the Western Conference. In terms of young players to watch, I still really like 21-year-old Cole Bassett. Uh, he's coming off of a year spent out on loan in the Netherlands. It didn't really go right for him. He looks great and motivated in preseason. I think he has something to prove, and I think he's coming in perfectly for the team that absolutely needs what he is. In that, they really missed his departure. With that, let's turn over back to Texas. Raheem, FC Dallas. So, FC Dallas... Uh, was impressive uh, last year, finished third in the Western Conference. They missed the playoffs in 2021. So, um, and they had two players that made the All-Star game, uh, Ferreira and Paul Ariola. So, um, I believe that they can make the playoffs again since they did fairly well last year. Um, they took... They defeated Minnesota in penalties, and then they lost to Austin FC in the MLS Cup playoffs. I predict they will finish fifth in the Western Conference. 
And with that, let us keep it in Texas for Felipe Houston Dynamo. Yeah, I mean, it was last year wasn't a great season for Houston Dynamo, finishing uh, 13th in the West. I think, uh, you know, they have lost some key players, specifically uh, Carlos Darwin Quintero, the Colombian. He was super influential for them, created the most big chances and just chances uh, in general. And he was super dynamic on the ball. Losing him is going to be a bit tough. On the team, they did bring in some uh, players to replace some of their bigger outgoings. They signed uh, Ivan Franco on loan, who might be the young player to watch, the 22-year-old uh, attacker. And they also signed uh, Amin Basi from FC Mets, who seems to be the attacking midfield uh, player that uh, they want to replace uh, for Quintero. Um, and then in the defense, they lost Tim Parker, who's now at St. Louis City. So I don't know if they are able to really improve that much. It seems like if um, if Carlos Ferreira can be on the same sort of firing form that he was before with 16 goals and assists last season, I think maybe they can punch above their weight. But I think it'll be uh, a solid 10th position for Houston Dynamo. A bit of an improvement, but still missing out in the playoffs. And with that, we'll take it on to the two L.A. teams. I will start taking a look at Los Angeles Galaxy, who I think can make the playoffs, but I have a really I, I, I'm really certain about what their ceiling is. And unfortunately, it's not where we would historically think about them as um, Douglas Costa is dead weight as a designated player. He'll do one or two really good things for you. But I think mostly he's just there collecting a paycheck. I love the energy that Chicharito's come with. He's been vulnerable. He's been a really good leader. He's tried really, really hard and everything. I just don't think tactically he fits long term with what the LA Galaxy are trying to do. Both of those players are out of contract and Let's be real. Dayton Jovalik has come in and been better at times than Chicharito. He's certainly been healthier than Douglas Costa as well. I I think he's almost been he's been waiting in the wings now last year and then probably this year to really be the starter in 2023 for what long term they're trying to do. If you're talking looking at star players that were going to be absolutely must watch for their highlights and everything they do, Ricky Pooge will again absolutely be bossing everything in the midfield from an attacking and a possession standpoint. Really excited to see what he does with the team. Really interesting question what the team does in terms of Pooge is eligible to be a young DP. Do you want to spend it on that given the you know uh, financial war chest the LA Galaxy are able to spend um, big losses in terms of trades. Obviously, they departed uh, parted ways with Kevin Cabral, who was traded for, I think, a reasonable fee in league with the Colorado Rapids, as I just mentioned. And they transferred uh, Samuel Grancier back to France as well. So they do have some really thinning out spots at the wing, especially with Cameron Dunbar, who's gone to Minnesota United. And now, officially, we can confirm uh, that Julian Araujo will be going to Barcelona. That whole issue with the um you know with the paperwork and the computer issue and MLS being single entity and him missing out by 15 seconds or whatever it was and going to Barcelona that's been resolved he'll be departing the team as well so I think they're okay up the middle I think long term they can be okay but you know out on the wings is really where they're weak right now and I still don't have a whole lot of belief in what they're doing defensively Derek Williams is a part of the team Nick Depu as well and if you look at the players that they brought in Eric Zavaleta uh, or excuse me Chris Mavinga you know, that's not you know, this team, ironically, 
has been looking for a star center back basically since Omar Gonzalez left. As much as Galaxy fans maybe dislike Omar ceiling and maybe his ball watching, especially on balls in the air, um, this team's going to be able to score a lot of goals, I think. I think they're going to be really star-reliant, um, whether it's Jovalik, whether it's Ricky Puj, whether it's Chicharito. Um, if anything happens to one of those three, then this team is really, really incomplete. I don't believe in this team at a center back position. I don't believe in this team defensively. They are a worse version of what Cincinnati is in that regard. So I think they're really going to have to rely on those star players from really holding out the team and helping them get results. If they're able to do that, I think they can finish sixth or seventh. I don't know that this team's uh, getting a home playoff game in the first round. In terms of young players to look at, really interesting stat here for Jalen Neal. He actually made his senior team debut with the national team before he actually did in MLS. He's been with the LA Galaxy. He's a homegrown in the academy for a couple of years now. He's played on LA Galaxy too, um, but he has yet to actually play a minute in MLS, and he actually started for Anthony Hudson uh, in one of the January camp friendlies as well. So really curious to see, given what I just said about the center back position, does Greg Vanny start to work him in as a long-term solution to that problem? With that, um, Felipe, or excuse me, uh, Rachel, I will go to you for LAFC. Um, Rachel, this team's playing with funny money. They're basically FIFA. If you had financial takeover with still some MLS rules, they're just going to win everything, right? Yeah, pretty much. I don't know where all their money comes from. Oh, wait, it comes from probably like Will Ferrell or something. Um, lots of additions in. Again, not too many, um, not too many folks out. Timothy Tillman was their recent signing from, um, I think, a second um, second tier team in Germany. Um, Sergi Palencia was signed, um, the Spanish defender. Um, they got, and I'm going to butcher this name, a Croatian forward, Stipe Buk. I think that's how you say it. Um, you know, oh, wah, wah, uh, Gareth Bale retired. It's not the end of the world. Come on now. But it does not give MLS a good look. They're trying to shed that retirement league um, stamp on them. And Gareth Bale comes in for basically, what, like four or five months and he retires. Um, yeah, they're pretty much playing with funny money. This is this is where the battle for Aaron Long ended up. He is in LAFC now. Um, and they also got a Honduran player um, on loan to them. So, yeah, it's pretty much just funny money. Um, they're going to dominate the West. Um, I think some teams, you know, Seattle always gives them a run for their money. Um, I think I think this year maybe Portland could give them a run for their money. We'll talk about them soon. Um, but, yeah, I, I think LAFC is pretty much they're on their way to being the clear-cut number one. The biggest loss, though, for this team was uh, Christian Arango siding with Liga Emeki's uh, Pachuca. Um, so that's a big loss for them. I, I don't know how that's going to work out. LAFC, I guess, is not usually uh, used to being told no. So uh, someone someone big for them said no and went down the border to Mexico. So be interesting to see how they fill that spot at least. Rachel, if this team ends 2023 not winning a single major trophy, is that a failure for you? Absolutely. I, I think so, for sure. I think I don't know how far they'll go in CONCACAF Champions League. I think they have a chance to do uh, something special. Don't know if we'll have two back to back uh, MLS winners, but um, if, if they don't win, you know, whether it be Open Cup, whether it be, you know, what's that called? Leagues Cup, whether it be, um, you know, MLS Cup, I think something is a failure for them, for sure. Participating in CONCACAF Champions League isn't enough. All righty then. Felipe, you were super excited to talk about this team. What's going on with the Loons? 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like watching a bit of, like right before the events of a car crash in the sense of uh, you just, I don't know if you can pin another team in the MLS last season that relied so heavily heavily on one player than uh, Minnesota on uh, Emmanuel Reynoso. And then, you know, the news comes out that he's he hasn't shown up to preseason. You thought that it was you know, reports that it was personal matters. And then a statement came out that the MLS fined him for failing to show up to preseason. And it seems all a bit up in the air. Um, obviously, the the coach and the team want him in it because of how influential he was. Uh, whether he will line up on opening day is remains to be seen. But uh, I think that, you know, if he doesn't show up, if he isn't involved in Minnesota's plans, uh, in the upcoming year, I think it's going to be a it's going to be a very very difficult season for Loon's fans. I mean, you know, I think Reynoso really patched up a lot of the cracks that Minnesota had last year. One of the worst uh, clean sheet records uh, and defensive records um, in the league. Uh, they did, to be fair to them, bring in basically a whole new backline. They got uh, Doniel Henry. That uh, the Canadian center back from Toronto on a free transfer. They got uh, Mikel Marquez, a Swedish Brazilian from the Swedish league. Um, they got Zarek Valentin from uh, Houston, and in the draft they got Ryan Jiba uh, from Union Omaha. So Jiba might not necessarily play there, but it's still three out of four uh, defense positions they have upgraded. I uh, also brought in Cameron Dunbar from LA. He might be. Uh, an exciting young player to uh, watch, but I mean, I don't think anything compares as much as uh, Reynoso coming back. I'm sure that's in uh, every Loons fan's dreams at night is waking up and seeing the news that Reynoso is back and raring to go. Um, but it, if that if that happens, good on them. If it doesn't happen, my thoughts are with them. Uh, let's head over to our first Cascadia team, Rachel, Portland Timbers. Uh, there's that guy, what, Edison or somebody that nobody can shut up about, but this is still a team with guys, uh, a bunch in their mid-30s, and I can't wait for Portland Timbers fans to exclaim, how do we get so many muscle and soft tissue injuries by June? Yeah, you know, Matt, I can never say anything nice about Portland. Um, that that pickup, though, of the Brazilian, um, I think Vonder, um, is probably – significant thing they've really done um this offseason they um the only other significant thing was news that um david ayala is out with uh, a knee injury for the next i think they said two maybe three months um so that doesn't help them and also there you go matt there's your soft tissue your your injuries already starting and we haven't even had first kick yet um but yeah portland not too many things going on here um a lot of stuff going behind the scenes though of course not just with um, Portland Timbers um, re- releasing Gavin Wilkinson, but also with the Portland Thorns organization and whatnot. So there is a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Now, will that affect them playing? I don't know. Um, it certainly, as we saw last year, did not affect the, the Thorns as they won the NWSL championship. Um, but we'll see how it works out with um, the Timbers. But they're really, I, I don't really have much to say because there really isn't much to talk about here. Um, just again, Portland, an aging team, um, not really doing anything about it. Um, so they're kind of a wild card. Who knows what they'll do? They they squeaked in by the uh, 
or I'm sorry, they, they didn't get in actually them in Seattle where were ousted um, in uh, on decision day. So yeah, I don't know. We'll return to the Rocky mountains. Raheem, what's going on with real salt Lake? Real salt Lake finished seventh in the Western conference. Uh, they almost pulled a shocker and almost won against Austin FC, but uh, they lost in penalties. Um, they they have this player um, that they signed um, who's under 23 years old, Carlos Gomez. It will be interesting how he fits in with the team um, and how they uh, get in, um, if they make the playoffs again or not. I think they, I think they will. I think they will uh, finish. Uh, I think they'll make a big jump to a fourth or fifth of the Western Conference. All right, and then let me see who we have next. Uh, it is San Jose, and I have San Jose. Um, for the first time in, I feel like, years, San Jose Earthquakes actually have a direction to where ownership, the GM, the front office, the head coach, and the players, and the assortment that they have are actually in the right direction. Matias Almeida was fun for maybe two to three months, and then that didn't really work when I think he came in with the understanding of how much money they were going to spend, and they ended up not spending that. He got into some disputes with the media and everything. Obviously, the team eventually hit a wall because you can only man mark for so long and have that system. They got pragmatic. Ultimately, Almeida was basically running out the clock for his contract to expire. And then last year was really a lame duck year anyways. They brought in Luchi Gonzalez, formerly of FC Dallas, formerly with the U.S. Uh, men's national team as an assistant. And they've really gone young. They've jettisoned a lot of the old players that they didn't really want anymore, at least that weren't going to be part of that plan and everything you look at uh george asameno who is gone shay salinas retired um eric hermetti had his contract extension had his contract expired as well uh you've got tommy thompson and judson who have re-signed with the team presumably on team friendly deals and other than that as far as acquisitions that come in it's guys in the entry draft it's a couple of homegrowns uh they brought an international goalkeeper sirens are coming because apparently i'm i'm speaking the truth here and uh, and the police are coming after me folks um but uh, maybe their one big acquisition is Carlos Grezo, uh coming in from FC Augsburg, uh, who's an Ecuadorian international and a very good teammate. Um, the Quakes can be chaos and aren't necessarily structured in how they are in the middle defensively. And maybe somebody who can wrangle that in and be a force multiplier is something that's certainly a, a net need. But for the most part, um, you know, they, they haven't they haven't brought in any real top talent. They've got a bunch of young guys. I think they're going to go young. I think they're going to play a bunch of young kids. I think this could be regularly one of the youngest starting 11s that we see, see throughout the weeks in MLS, especially when we get into the summer. I think Quakes fans can be excited for that because of what Lucci ultimately did at FC Dallas and where the how he set up FC Dallas to ultimately have success after his departure and everything. So I think there's a clear plan. I think it's one that Quakes fans can actually be excited about. That There's a long-term vision towards sustainable success. I just don't think that means they're going to be very good this year. I think this team comfortably misses the playoffs. I don't expect them to be competitive in a lot of things, but they're going to have young kids and they're going to run really hard. Hashtag Goonies and everything. They'll probably score a couple of fun, really exciting goals at the death, probably against the LA Galaxy in order to get some points. So uh, enjoy that, Quakes fans. You've always had that, if nothing else. Um, with that, speaking of teams that are retooling and having a long-term vision after a disappointing 2023, Rachel, are the Seattle Sounders back with a vengeance in Major League Soccer? I wouldn't call it 
disappointing. I would just call it. I would call like a like two months of it disappointing. I mean, listen, they won they won Concacaf Champions League. Okay, that's great. It's a new year now, new slate, everything. You can't really um do that. They. I was a little worried at first because there wasn't much roster turnover, but I am a little bit comforted in the fact that they are not playing CCL and so their legs won't be as heavy. Um, that's a lot to handle when you're playing CCL, Leagues Cup, um, and and the MLS season. So, um, and then of course, you know, international guys playing, you know, their, their games as well. Um, but Seattle is pretty much largely unchanged. Um, Jao Paulo is back. He got minutes during the um, during Seattle's uh, FIFA Club World Cup match, a game that honestly they played really well. They just got unlucky with uh, one goal from Al I um, going past them. I think for the most part they had a really good game and they didn't look like a team because you know they're they're playing against teams that are you know, in the midst of their season. So for me, they didn't look like a preseason team. They actually played very well. Um, again, Bear signed. Um, Will Bruin is out. I think Bear is, is going to be a great piece. I was horribly disappointed by the fact that we did not see him at the FIFA Club World Cup. Don't really understand um, that too much. Um, one thing that I've always talked about with Seattle um, is the goalkeeper situation. Stefan Fry, obviously clear cut number one. Um, but last year, a, a lot because of the heaviness of those legs, they were switching out Stefan, um, Stefan Fry for Stefan Cleveland, a Stefan for a Stefan. Um, so I'm intrigued to see if they will do that again this year with maybe some midweek games. Um, I, I don't really know Stefan Fry, you know, God love him. He's a great goalkeeper, but he is not getting any younger. So, um, intrigued to see how he, uh, holds up this year but Seattle I think they're a team you know they're going to make the playoffs I think they're going to come back with a vengeance to make the playoffs last year was the first year in club history that they did not do it but they were in it until like the second to last week um, but of course for Seattle a team with so much success a team that you know consistently makes the playoffs it, it wasn't good enough for them so they're going to come back with a vengeance this year and they're going to win some games Raheem sporting Kansas City. Speaking of another team that's coming back with revenge energy. So, yeah, sporting Kansas City finished 12th in the Western Conference. Um, it's interesting um how Scottish players uh make their way in um uh, MLS. Johnny Russell was their captain last year for Sporting Kansas City. Um, I think Scotland is an underrated uh soccer nation and um it shows in the players that they have in MLS in general. Uh, Roger Espinosa is another notable player. He can play as a midfielder or as a defender. Um, unfortunately, I, I feel like they'll miss the playoffs, but maybe they'll make a slight improvement and get close until the end. And with that, we will close it out with our final two teams that we have on our list. Uh, last Cascadia team, Vancouver, and then expansion side, St. Louis City FC. Felipe, both of these are to you. Uh, feel free to pick whichever order you want. I will leave my beloved uh, Whitecaps for the end. Uh, I'm going to start with St. Louis City, uh, mostly because I am super excited to see. I mean, it's always super excited to see an expansion side start um i wonder how many expansion sides we're going to see quite quickly in the next few years uh but uh this year's in st louis city uh i've liked what they've done so far i mean they've 
they've brought in a, a manager who who is purebred energy drink soccer. You know, uh, Bradley Carnell, the South African. He um, he is part of the the Red Bull enterprise. They like to play the German G-Gen pressing kind of thing, and um, a lot of people are thinking that he's going to try to do that. Can that work in an MLS? Uh, setting especially with a brand new team brand new players uh will remain to be seen but i i like that they're putting their their a firm foot forward they're trying to play good attacking intense uh free-flowing football um which is what you want to see when you go see a game will that work uh right away i don't think so i think there's going to be some growing pains they did buy a lot of players uh, from the Bundesliga, players that probably are more used to this kind of style of play. Um, players like uh, João Klaus, uh, the Brazilian from Hoffenheim, Eduard Loven from Hertha Berlin. Um, obviously, they're probably what their biggest signing was their goalkeeper, Roman Burki, who played uh, at Borussia Dortmund. He did not play under Jurgen Klopp, uh, when, who was probably one of the best uh, Dijon pressing managers, but probably still learn a thing or two from the successor. Um, and uh, Thomas Ostrak from FC Cone. Uh, I do think a young player to watch out for, obviously, is Indiana Vasilev, who comes from Aston Villa. Uh, I think he's an exciting young player on the wing. Um, they were going to need a bit of that dyma- uh, dynamism to play this kind of football. Um, but overall, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to place where a, a playoff team might finish in the first season. You might have a, an expansion team like Atlanta did in their first season where they immediately go and, and they make the playoffs. Or you might have a, a season like Cincinnati did where uh, you it's one that you want to swiftly move along from. Um, but I think that uh, they'll finish. I don't know if they'll finish in the playoffs, but they won't finish too far off. I'm thinking maybe eighth or ninth, depending on how quickly they might have to uh, throw out their plans if they lose a bunch of games by blowouts uh, a la Leeds United uh, last season. Um, But overall, I think uh, it'll be a good season. And then moving on to my Vancouver Whitecaps. I mean, this is a season... uh, It feels like every season you say, this is a make-or-break season. Uh, And it isn't. Because it's the same thing over and over again. Uh, This season, um, we actually did business early. For once and bringing in Matias Laborda from uh, Nacional, a good young center back. Um, I think he's going to help improve that defensive line, um, especially since we saw uh, players like Florian Youngworth retire, who's now an assistant coach, and uh, Jake Norwinski go to St. Louis. Um, I think that he can shore up a bit that defense. That was a that was a, quite a bit accident prone and quite did a few mistakes last season that cost a couple of goals. Um, but we're still waiting for some of those big signings. I mean, I think it was reported last week, like or or more than a week ago now, that uh, Vancouver Whitecaps are close to signing um, RSL star boy Zaya uh, Cordova, and um, and their goalkeeper and the goalkeeper of the season in the J League last year, Yohei uh, Takaoka. Uh, but still, we have not seen any of those deals cross the line. And as the days get closer and closer to the opening season, you wonder. Are we going to see these names on the opening day, if at all? Um, I think uh, for... I'm really excited to see Christian Dahomey, my fellow Colombian. Now he's playing in a more of attacking role in the preseason. He already has like four or five goals. And he seems ready to 
uh, fill that gap that uh, Lucas Cavallini uh, made, though, hopefully with less uh, temper tantrums on the pitch. Um, but I do think that uh, if Vancouver Whitecaps can get these signings over the line and they, they can sort of find some stability uh, after the, t- the terrible start they had the last season, uh, I think that they will. They might actually push on to to uh, reach the playoffs again, and God forbid, get more than fifty points in a season. Uh, but maybe that's just my wishful thinking. All right, with that, folks, let us move on to the roundtable. We 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 talked about every single team, so it's kind of hard to talk about something else that's breaking news, unless uh Miami uh, unless Messi to Miami has happened in the last twenty minutes, which I don't think it has. But we do have uh, actual competitive games taking place in North America this week in the form of the She Believes Cup. Rachel, I will throw it to you as our resident Woso expert and everything going on with the U.S. Women's National Team. I know a bit of a shaken up lineup with some injuries and everything. Um, what what are you seeing? What are expectations for Vlatko and company? Well, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to be nice, Matt, because I think what's painfully obvious for the U.S. Women's National Team is that number one, Julia is not going to be coming back. Um, nobody has really heard of her. She got traded last year um, to Angel City FC. She did not report. She she had a baby, but she has pretty much made like no you know, inkling that she is going to come back. She isn't, she wasn't on Angel City's preseason roster. So that leaves the U.S. with a a really big question. Who's your number six going to be? And they've tried out a lot of different things. Lindsay Horan, she doesn't really work in that spot. Rose Lavelle, nada. Plus, she's also made of breadsticks. Um, Point being, she hurt her uh, knee again in training um, for the She Believes Cup. So she is out for the game against Canada. Um, they've tried Andy Sullivan, and Andy Sullivan is, is a decent player to slot in there. I don't think she is quite a number six, um, but she can do some creative things. And Vlatko's latest tinkering has been putting Taylor Korniak, who is six foot, in a number six position. What? Casey Stoney is probably losing her marbles right now because that is her San Diego Wave player playing as a number six where she absolutely does not play for the club team um she plays up top as a forward not as a midfielder like and out at that not even an attacking midfielder and so the best bet that we have seen since julie Ertz last put on a, a pair of boots for the u.s women's national team have been last year's rookie of the year sam coffee who is with the portland thorns and guess what he wasn't named to the roster so it's there are a lot of questions to what is Vlatko doing? What what is he trying to see from from this group of players? It, it seems like he is trying to force Lindsay Horan into this number six position, and she just she just doesn't fit it. She doesn't play it for Lyon. She didn't play it for Portland. She just doesn't fit in that position. She is a number ten, and that's what she plays as. And so for Vlatko, just kind of trying to force her into that position is is hurting the team. You know, your number six is supposed to be a distributor. They are supposed to be basically the queen or king of the assists. And and, and Vlaco is just basically shooting himself in the foot, not doing that. The World Cup is in five months. 
um, really four months uh, at this point. So th there are a lot of questions with the with the direction uh, in that regard that the U.S. women's national team um, are going with, but for the most part, a standard roster. Um, I, I think this is probably going to be one of the more competitive she believes comes solely because of that midfield. Like it, it has been such a U.S. dominated tournament for the last few years, but. I mean, Japan is a very young and talented team. Brazil is Brazil. They can beat anybody on any given basis. It, it's a team that, yes, Marta is on that roster, but she is not the face of it anymore. And then Canada, I mean, Canada, they've got nothing to lose in this tournament. They're, they're protesting against their federation. Um, and, and I'm sure Raheem will have something to say about that. Um, but yeah, I, I think the U.S. Women's National Team, they, they need to, Blackco needs, to, I don't know what he has against Sam Coffey. Um, maybe it's because she plays for Portland. I don't know, but he, he needs to get her in that camp and he needs to get her with these players playing as a number six because uh, if you're going to the World Cup with Lindsay Horan as a number 10, I'm sorry, but I think you're out in like the quarterfinals. Okay, then um, we'll throw it to our two Canadians, uh, Raheem Felipe. I'll, I'll give all you guys pick uh, who takes what and when you want to start with. Um, what's going on with Canada? Firstly, from the, the the lockout, that issue as well, and what are expectations for this team? And she believes in building towards the World Cup. Um, I I don't know, Raheem, if you want to talk about um maybe more of uh the roster, and I can I can take a bit of the conversation on the ongoing drama. Okay, so um, the roster um, is uh, you got Andriana Leon. Um, she actually played very well against um, against Brazil and against Australia. Actually, she scored uh, three goals against Australia. And uh, the thing that Canada was missing was that the thing that Canada was missing was a kind of player who can score goals. And I feel like Leon has stepped up and become that player. Um, obviously, Nichelle uh, Prince and Deanne Rose are injured. Um, they won't be in the She Believes Cup. Hopefully, uh, they are in the FIFA Women's World Cup. Um, the, I'll leave it to Felipe, but first I want to say that I believe that Canadian Women's National Team, the soccer team, is, I think, in my opinion, might be the most popular national team in Canada. Um, they have been very good since 2012 when they won bronze. They have been very consistent. And I know the men's team have come up recently, but I think the women's team is still the most popular team. And I feel like they are on par or even surpassing kind of the popularity of ice hockey and curling, which is a two sports in national team that, uh, Canada tends to support. So I'll leave it to. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. I mean, the Canadian women's national team are trailblazers, not just for Canadian soccer, but I think in Canadian sport. I mean, the stuff that they have been doing, they always really have been, but it's coming to light now. And, and I think a lot more people are appreciating it and, and their support of it. Um, unfortunately, because of the situation going on, with the uh, Canadian women's national team uh, protesting against Canada soccer. Um, I don't want to go too much into the detail of, of why and like, I guess the legal reasons behind it, since even they can't speak too much about it, but it does have to do a lot of fighting for equality, fighting for resources, especially since this is a world cup year, they 
They want to make sure they have the right amount of staff. They want to have, you know, more than 20 players at a camp and and for their youth, for the future to be um, in safe hands as well. And so they're, they're clearly, it is something that means so much to them. It's nothing new to have more drama with Canada soccer, especially in the last year that we've had. Um, but this seems like, you know, the final, the final straw. And um, the fact that Canada Soccer then had to sort of mention in their statements that uh, they were going to take legal action, and so they the players had to come out and um, and play. And it seemed like today and this morning in camp there was light spirits. They were throwing a football around, um, but they did notably wear their training tops inside out in protest. And afterwards, um, in a short scrum. Um, they mentioned like Quinn, uh, Christine Sinclair, Janine Becky. They mentioned that they're still fighting for Canada. They're they are they're fighting for the team and they're still playing for Canada. They want to play with pride. They just want to make it clear their stance with the current federation and the current situation. So I think it's, I mean, it's it's going to be very interesting. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Canada, not necessarily for the reasons that we probably want it to be, because of this all ongoing drama, but. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't, I can't think of a a bigger fuel to a fire to play than this. I think they're going to go out there and they're going to try to prove why they should still be regarded as the number one soccer, a national soccer team, even with the comeuppance of the men's national team, or at least be on par with them. I think they're going to uh, go against that first game against the U.S. and they're going to give it absolutely everything they got. Um, they, you know, I don't think they've probably felt more unified, um, uh, than maybe the Olympic run where they got gold. Um, I don't think they have more reason to go out and win this thing than this. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what else they do in, in quote unquote protests. If they do any other small little showings across this tournament to show that, you know, we are playing this in protest. Um, but I think overall, you know, you look at the squad, and like Raheem said, um, they do have strong players. I know a uh, player I've been following, uh, Chloe Lacasse, has had an insane season so far for Benfica. It's uh, going like 18 goals in 23 games, something like that. She's absolutely on fire. Uh, I think she's going to, she's probably one of the most informed Canadian players, probably her and uh, Jonathan David, uh, maybe Steven Eustachio too. Uh, I think she is going to light up that she believes. And I think, you know, this is an opportunity for a lot of other players that might not have that many caps or might not necessarily be in in the plans, Um, like Simia Ujo, like um, Lizanne Prullo, the goalkeeper, uh, and um, even the the forward, uh, Jenna Hellstrom. This is a chance for them to maybe show Bev Priestman why they deserve to be called up for the World Cup. but yeah, no, overall, I think this is going to be probably one of the most watched She Believes Cup, at least from Canada's point of view, um, because of all of this going on. And I can't wait to see uh, how Canada shows up on the field uh, on tomorrow. Uh, it was to, stated... um, Go ahead, Rachel. Sorry, just, just to say real quick, too. Um, Sophie Schmidt said after uh, the, the upcoming World Cup, she is going to retire from the U.S. women. I'm sorry, the Canadian women's national team. <laughs> um, she is probably one of, like, her response to the um, to the protest and everything 
I mean, obviously it's emotional for everyone, but she really, like you can tell she wears her heart on her sleeve because she is very emotional. And she has even said, you know, in, in press conferences, I, I was ready to leave the She Believes Cup and just go back to Houston for preseason. Um, but Bev Priestman said, just just sleep on it. We need you. We need you for both for both parts, the equality fight and for for the games itself. And she, you know, after talking with Sinclair and a couple others, she decided to come back. But I mean, it's it's so bold of Canada, and and I really appreciate this that they're doing it in a World Cup year. I mean, that is really really significant. Like, yes, the U.S. Women's National Team has always kind of had this underlying of um, you know protest against the Federation, but it really didn't you know come to head until the end of the 2019 World Cup when Megan Rapinoe got up in New York City and said equal pay, and the whole crowd chanted it back. And the biggest ally for um, for Canada right now is those U.S. players, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, speaking out in press conferences saying, you know, we stand by the Canadian players. Um, they deserve what is right. Um, and, and it's a gold it's a gold medal winning team. I mean, come on, come on, Canada, you got to give a little here. One thing yeah, that I'll no, add, especially with a. Uh, oh. Oh, just one thing that I was going to say, Felipe, uh, there was uh, uh, availability before the tournament uh, earlier today, maybe yesterday, and Sinclair was quoted as saying the She Believes Cup is being played in process protest. So, Felipe, to your point, it's almost like the they're they're going out there motivated to win, to almost prove it to and potentially spite the Federation, which is an extremely motivating thing, but also doesn't speak well of just the relationships we've seen between the players and the Federation. You were saying. No, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it does show, like, to do this in a World Cup year, it, it it's incredible, both in the sense where they're doing it in such a crucial year in the cycle, but also that they have to do it in such a cru- crucial year in the cycle. I know the players probably don't want to do this, don't want to cause all of this um, drama in a World Cup year before an invitational tournament like this. But it's just gotten to that point, you know, the fact that they've said in their and their uh, player statement with their their player association that they had no no send away games, no, no games in Canada before the World Cup. And, you know, like how for for especially like like Rachel said, a gold medal winning team, how are you not going to have uh, a farewell game before the World Cup? So it's it's little things like this where Canada soccer now has to tread very carefully on how they uh do things from from now on between here and uh the world cup because you know it's not just behind the scenes in their negotiations with the players including the men's players as well because that still hasn't necessarily gone away and with you know other entities like the one uh like the csb in the canadian premier league um i think it's going to be very much treading on eggshells for them because the the women's national team, you know, Raheem said probably one of the most loved national teams in Canada. It's going to have they're going to have the whole the whole nation and probably a lot of the world behind them in support of this. So, it's going to be it's going to be interesting how negotiations continue after the fact. I'm predicting Canada to win, I guess, on that. I certainly don't think the United States is going to win. Anybody else want to throw in a, an actual pickums here if they agree or think something differently? I think the uh, only other team would be Brazil, but, but that's about it. I, I don't think the U.S. is going to lay down and let Canada walk on them. 
um, or give them anything. I don't think any of these three teams are, but I, I do think, you know, when there is a fire, that fire can roar. Um, you put gasoline on that fire, then you are asking for trouble. So I think Canada takes the She Believes Cup. I agree. I think that uh, in spite of everything, Canada is going to go out there and just prove to absolutely everyone go get right into Nick Bontis's ear and say, this is what, this is how we play. And this is what we deserve. Uh, so I'm, I'm picking Canada. Alrighty then. Well, we've been going for almost uh, an hour and a half here. Uh, Raheem, anything you wanted to add? So, um, on this game, I believe it will be a one, one, uh, there's two things that could happen. One is what Felipe and Rachel said that they get fired up and, uh, they, uh, get ready for this or because of, you know, what's happening. Um, with uh, Canada soccer, they may feel uh, that very um, kind of betrayed, maybe. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I think, yeah, they could have a fire on them. Like, um, there's also the other thing. Um, Felipe covered this very thoroughly in the Pro Women's Soccer League. There is a Pro Women's Soccer League coming in Canada, which is very, very significant. Um, because it means that. They will not fall behind. So not only do they have a gold medal, but they have this incoming proposed women's league coming in 2025. And then uh, I, I um, many years ago, I remember the uh, movie Bend It Like Beckham, where they had to move to the U.S. to play women's soccer. And now there's a women's soccer coming everywhere. Uh, it, it is good to see for women's soccer in general to see uh, a lot of pro women's leagues now coming up in uh, soccer. Careful, Raheem. Liga MX exists too, and Mexico women's national team was not benefited by it in this uh, qualifying cycle. But that I digress. All right, let's get out of here, folks. Let's get to last words. Felipe, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, no, I would like to actually do a quick shout out for something that happened recently in uh, in uh, British Columbian soccer in the League One BC. Uh, Varsity FC have changed their name to uh, Natsuwimit, I believe is the name, FC, uh, uh, representing and, and reflecting their indigenous ties. And I don't know if you guys have seen the crest or any of the, uh, the news around it, but it is beautiful design. Uh, the name itself means one heart, one mind. And uh, I just think it's really beautiful how they're taking, you know, truth and reconciliation to the next level in sport and having... Um, this the the first semi professional club or and the first like big I guess you could say club in uh Canadian history to uh have indigenous people culture uh at the forefront. So I just want to give them a quick shout out because I I think it's amazing. Raheem. So um for me coming up um um. The MLS season, obviously, uh, I wrote a season preview on Toronto FC um, a few days ago. Um, as uh, Matt, was, Matt was mentioning, um, I am starting, well, planning stages of the podcast with Felipe and another writer. We have uh, Adam Kennedy, who covers the Philadelphia Union from Scotland. Um, other things that are happening just generally... Um, I'm also covering the Toronto Arrows for Major League Rugby. Um, they play their first uh, season game on Friday, so um, you can look at uh, you can look on Twitter for me on writing on that. 
Um, and also the weather has not been bad in Toronto. It, it's been a very mild winter so far, and hopefully that remains the case. All right, Rachel. Yeah, first, just want to give a shout out to our uh, wonderful sponsor, Icarus FC. So are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Are you looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price with the motto, any design you want. Seriously, let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Um, short last words for me. You can find me on Twitter at Rachel Kruger. Um, I had the opportunity. Um, you never know where an Instagram DM will um, get you. I had the opportunity to chat with Seattle Sounders head strength and conditioning coach um, Megan Young. Um, it was it was a real pleasure to talk to her. It'll be coming out um, this coming weekend for the long weekend, President's Day weekend in the United States. Um, so be sure to check that out here on Last Word SC Radio. Um, and I, I really hope you guys enjoy it. We had a great chat um, and a lot of funny stories. Uh, Matt, you will be sure um to to take note of who she wants to be her teammate in a game of soccer tennis noted there um so for my last words first of all i want to thank our other sponsor our third sponsor roughneck scarves who are an official purveyor of official mls usl nwsl and u.s soccer merchandise get your customs get your custom scarves neck gaiters and masks at roughneckscarves.com including this scarf that i'm currently wearing the new day scarf that came with the new day kit that the colorado rapids launched today at time of recording which as i heard from a roughneck scarves uh representative said is the most colorful scarf they have ever had ever in their inventory so absolutely fantastic there um on that note, I've been uh, super. I'm happy that Jersey Week is back. Jersey Week used to be a thing in like the MLS 2.0 era, where it was like three to like five days, where every single team released their kits and everything. Pretty much every single one was a unique individual, had a story behind it, had some symbols behind it. Was fantastic. Uh, the Austin FC one looks like a barcode. It's chaos, so I like it because I'm a chaos monster. Every single other one you had was very, very good. Great either story behind it or great symbols or anything. Lots of interesting unique colors none of them looking exactly the same mls single entity and adidas uh designers are you actually listening rachel the one that we had from uh seattle sounders with the bruce lee kit absolute fire obviously i'm rocking the new day kit for the colorado rapids one which at a distance is just a plain blue shirt but if you hear about the story behind it and the initiatives uh and the mission that are coming with it as well absolutely fantastic stuff there so jersey week is back it's fire so far i just really hope tomorrow at time of recording we just don't get a bunch of plain white kits that all look exactly the same follow us on twitter and all social media platforms ask last at last word sc check out all of our content folks at lastwordonsports.com or wherever you get your podcast to search lws radio you'll find us and a bunch of other great content from the last word network we'll see you next week